Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Janet Ellis, and this is Twice Upon a Time, where each week I invite a guest to come and chat with me about their favourite childhood book. They often bring along their own battered copy. This is a podcast to celebrate that magical book which cast a spell over us and often still has us in its thrall. My guest is the actor Tuppence Middleton. She recently starred in the Oscar-nominated film Mank as Sarah Mankiewicz, opposite Gary Oldman. And she was called the naughtiest woman on TV for her portrayal of Russian princess Hélène Karagina in the television adaptation of War and Peace. Tuppence Middleton, welcome to Twice Upon a Time, and thank you very much for your choice of book, which I think will be on a lot of people's bookshelves and in their hearts. What did you choose? I chose Stick of the Dump by Clive King. Why? What was your first reason for going back to that one straight away? Yeah, um, it was actually a really hard decision to pick a book. Firstly, because I wasn't a huge reader as a child. I think I became a much bigger reader sort of 18 onwards when I left home. We would always have children's book around the house and, you know, we read a lot at school. But there wasn't that, that kind of middle period, I think, sort of from maybe 11 to late teens. Uh, I didn't read that much at all, really. Um, I don't know why. I think it was something about, um, it, it fell in that category for me of things that I have to do, therefore I don't want to do, like piano lessons, you know, which I, I loved playing the piano, but I hated practicing. So it felt that there was always this pressure to do it. And then I realized, obviously, at 18, how silly I was and how much I loved reading. And then I kind of caught up over um, several years. But in choosing a children's book, Stick of the Dump was the first thing that I remember reading the whole way through for school and really enjoying it kind of ignited my uh, passion for reading kind of uh, longer children's books. How old were you when you read it? Well, I I was in year three. I don't know if um, it's still uh, organised like that now yeah, in schools, yeah, but that is. was so age seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so seven to eight. And it was also the first time, it was the start of proper school and it was the first time I had a form tutor who I really loved. It was this uh, woman called Mrs. Nib and I always really remember that because she would write it up on the blackboard. Mrs. Nib spelt with a K and she would always write Mrs. Knib, Knows, Knothing so that we remember <laughs> that her name was said Nib, not Knib. And she was so lovely, so kind and she had such passion for this book. She would always read sections out loud and and made everything about it so fun. There was always exercises and always little projects around the book. So it was the first time that a book really came alive for me. Did you have a copy at home too? Um, no, we had them at school. I think they probably didn't trust us to, <laughs> number one, look after them and not lose them. So, no, we used to keep them in school uh, on a little bookshelf. And there was, you know, I don't know how many of the... There wasn't a class, probably maybe 15, 10, 15 or something. And there was just, um, you know, 10 identical little copies on the bookshelf. And you'd go up and, 
and you'd have your name inside and you go and um, pick them from the shelf and, and sit around on, you know, they would always push all the desks to the side of the classroom and sit around on these kind of big cushions when we had reading time. Um, yeah. And Mrs. Nib aside, what, what yeah. was it that made you love the book? Well, I think it's funny because I, I obviously reread it before talking to you. Uh, I sort of found some of it actually reading it back. The first couple of chapters, in a way, quite boring because it's just this little boy, you know, finding this um, man who lives in, in the dump in the chalk pit at the end of his grandma's garden and collects old things. And, and, and so much of it is just, you know, this this caveman finding uses for everyday objects or someone loses something or they think they hear someone outside and it's so long and drawn out that... I thought, well, I can't remember why I love this so much. And then later on in the book, it becomes much more of an adventure. But it also reminded me of that feeling, all these little things that you do, whether it's um, going out and climbing a tree or making a mud pie, which we used to do a lot when we were little. And this also has that sort of spirit. Then everything feels so big, you know. And boredom, I mean, there are several themes in the book. Boredom is definitely one of them. Just constructing yeah. your world from very little, really. I mean, he's, and the freedom, of course, that Barney and his sister have to just yeah. go at the beginning of the day and come back at the end. And nobody really minds about what you've been doing in the middle. Yeah. Did, did you have that sort of freedom as a child? Um, you know, I think I did because I, I remember we lived on a little cul-de-sac and Two of our best friends who were the children of my one of my mum's best friends growing up um, lived just across the road. And so we would shout to my mum, we were going out to play, and then we'd come back a couple of hours later. And we'd often go around the corner. There was actually not dissimilar to the dump. There was just this sort of barren area where there just seemed to be lots of piles of vegetation because we were always there looking for slow worms. We were obsessed with slow worms. Used to take the washing up bowl from the sink, come back with, I don't know, two or three slow worms, which my mum had to house for however many days and then we were told to take them back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, all sorts of things, bringing salamanders home from school and trying to tap the floor so lots of slugs would come up. There was always a little project and so much of it was out in nature, which... Barney gets into what were called scrapes, I think. You know, he he was actually climbing things he shouldn't and falling off things. And in fact, he only discovers stink because he he falls what would probably look to his mother quite a long way. A long way. And he's also playing in a dump with several things which are probably rusty and dirty and there's, you know, all sorts there. You know, that, that it certainly feels like... Now that would be something people would be very anxious about. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, it, it felt so much a part of our childhood, you know, being outside. and Well, there's also so much more fear around children being alone yeah. now, which, which certainly when I was a child didn't happen. I mean, we did live near yeah. a chalk pit and my sister and I used to just go there. Yeah. Looking, looking at it now, I think, well, we did survive. Of course we did. But yeah. it was um, extraordinarily liberating. But the weird thing is with Barney, the little boy at the centre of this story, who mm. is staying with his grandmother, as you say, and then finds Stig, this potentially Stone Age man, living yes. in the dump and repurposing things brilliantly, is that Barney is actually still, he still brings the adult world with him. And certainly I hadn't read it since I was a child. So yeah. and you get that very different perspective naturally when, when you're not eight years old anymore. Yeah. But he actually, although he's aware that he can let rules go when he's away from his grandma. Yeah. He still sticks to them, doesn't he? He still observes the world in this sort of quasi-adult way, which is really yeah. sweet. Yeah, I think that that also feels very true to the time, that sort of 
there's this sort of politeness or something. It feels quite period, you know, the way in the way that it's written that he's sort of uh, he's a good boy and he and he obeys by the rules and he says he's going to go out, but he's always back in time for dinner and. And actually, he's really lovely to this man. And and it was really funny doing a bit of research on Clive King. I read that he, uh, uh, over the course of his life and career, had tried to learn 10 languages, which is totally bonkers and amazing. But he never quite mastered any of them. I think it, in fact, says in, in the foreword. But it makes sense to me that so much of the book is about communication, about... And Stig has no language at all. No language at all. So yeah. it's a completely nonverbal communication with yeah. him, which is part of the joy of it, really, isn't it? That, yeah. And Barney is unafraid of him almost from the word go, too. Whatever that is, he senses benevolence. Yes. And absolutely no threat, despite the fact he looks like nobody and lives like nobody he's ever seen before. Yeah. It's quite sweet because when, when, he's, when he's looking at it, he says something like, you know, they, they, um, this place has never been given a tidy up. You know, it's just yeah. so, so sweet. sweet. Yes, yeah. yeah. so like mother says that. Yeah, That's, and yeah. he asked him for a clothes brush at one point, you know, because he's going back home and he needs to tidy himself up. I know. But their relationship starts at, at a very particular level, doesn't it? They don't, mm. they don't build up. And is it, is it partly because, I wonder, because Barney is creating Stig for himself or is it because Stig represents a very unthreatening adult world into which he is completely immediately welcome. Yeah, I I think both of those things are true. And I think also on top of that, in a way, it's kind of how children approach friendship, I think. That that it felt so um familiar to me to read that, that he meets this person and immediately he's his best friend. It's so important when you're that age, isn't yeah. it? Who your best friend is, who your closest friends are and and who you're going to play with at lunch. And I remember, oh God, just having nightmares about break time at school and thinking, well, who am I going to play with? And, and will this person play with me today? And, but I really want to play with that person. And it's, it's huge. It's a huge part of your world is making friends and those friends become massively influential. So it, it felt, it felt kind of true to form that, that that happened. And even when the Snarget boys, who are a group of um, kind of naughty boys the from, the, yeah. yes, from the neighborhood find the dump and, Barney sort of walks in on them and they, and they have a bit of an altercation before eventually, you know, they end up respecting him and his friendship with Stig and Stig himself, but, and, and slightly fearing him. Even then, he's so willing to forgive their initial sort of bullying behaviour and then uh, think, oh, they're all right, really. And, and later on with, the, with uh, spoiler alert here, folks, but yes. with the burglars <laughs> later, you know, yes. he thinks, oh, they're, you know, that's, they're, they're carrying some spoons because somebody might need a spoon. Yes. You know, not that they might have been stolen. No. He's, and, he's and a real innocent abroad. Yes. And they, and they told him that. So he believes it. And yeah. that's so, you know, that's also so um, childlike, isn't it? To, uh, you know, everything that adults say is gospel. So yeah. it must be true. Adults don't tell lies. And, and it's so... Um, yeah, I think it's such a wonderful exploration of childhood because he's 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 so he's so innocent and pure and good, you know, which not all children are all the time. But it's as a child, it's so lovely to read that, and it's kind of like a you know maybe not so subtle um, example uh, to to kids reading. Well, I really enjoyed the relationships too with with his grandmother and his sister both of whom are forming this little group who do things together, like going shopping. Yeah. I, I was particularly thrilled at the reference to Seven Oaks because yeah. yes. my <laughs> many schools was in Seven Oaks, so I raised a small flag there. But also the relationship with his sister is very sweet because although 
uh, it, for a lot of the book, seven-eighths of the book, she is not part of the story for him and Stig at all. Mm. She's not dismissive. You know, he comes back and says what's happened and he found this man and he lives like this and, you know, he's repurposing things in the chalk pit and he's stone age potentially. Yeah. And both the grandmother and, and his sister Lou kind of go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. They don't actually rubbish it no, at all. No, fully accepting of it. And there is also that thing which... Um, made me think of my brother actually because I'm one of three and, and my brother is the youngest and my sister and I are slightly closer in age so you know when you're growing up he's the one who who gets the short straw and is dressed up in dresses and ribbons and makeup and we it's practice all of our things too, yeah. yeah it's it's just part <laughs> of the deal um, which he took very well but um, I can imagine being you know a little boy in a very female household or, or vice versa that then sometimes you need to go off and and play in the dump with your friend Stig, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This book has never been out of print. So it just shows you it's yeah. over 50 years old now and it's never been out of print. So wow. there's obviously something in it about friendship and childhood and, yes. and who you are allowed to be and who you want to be and who other people are to you yeah. resonates massively right down the generations. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and reading it again, I think there are so many valid things that apply now, you know, about repurposing things and, you know, recycling and, you know, not not taking things for granted that, you know, I, I can take this thing and actually I can I can use it in a different way and I don't have to be wasteful. And all of these things that he finds in the dump are, are magic in their own way. They have a use and he doesn't consider them rubbish because he sees that Stig uses them as, as part of his life and his home. And so I think that that, you know, alongside him kind of communicating with this man that he, he doesn't share a language with. It's so, I mean, I, I feel, you know, once every two or three weeks, I just get so sad about Brexit still. And I think that it's such a nice thing to to read about these two people who uh, find a common ground, you know, despite being from very different walks of life. Yes, they understand each other straight away, don't they? And mm. it's interesting because, as you say, there's all sorts of things in the dump that Barney thinks he half recognises possibly the tail of a plane, although he then yeah. realizes it's not, nothing quite as exciting. But he sees a, what he thinks is a bicycle. And just as a throwaway line, Clive King said, they didn't let him have a bicycle. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that, that's, never, that's never referred to again. But it's just yes. really odd, isn't it, that that was so particular. I wonder why particularly that, that he didn't have a bicycle and he was therefore prepared to just yeah. dig one out of the ground pretty much and repair it. That's very true. I think also 
at that age, a bike is, I mean, it's like getting your first car. It's such an exciting totally, yeah. thing. It's, it's huge. I mean, choosing the right bike, choosing the colour, you know, do I want a mountain bike? Always too big bike? for you it's as well, isn't it? It's always too big for you. I mean, you can never ride properly and it's just so exciting. Do you want a basket? Are you going to get stickers? It's, just, it's so big. And I think that maybe there was something in that, you know, because I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I'm assuming he was the same age as I was when I read it, which is seven, but I don't... Yeah, I think he's, I think I think he's, he's eight. Eight. I think eight. He's eight, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so, I'm. yeah, I suppose you do have little bikes before that, but when you get your first kind of proper Absolutely. bike... Absolutely, no stabilisers. Yeah, no, yeah. Nobody grabbing the back of the saddle and yeah. propelling you slightly too fast. Maybe yeah, just so maybe dad. it's that one thing that, you know, children... Yes. It's like it's on the Christmas list and it's... Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. I'm thinking of age. I mean, I don't... Uh, does it say... I'm thinking now, I don't know whether it says his age or whether that's just the, the sort yeah. of empirical information around the book. Mm. But when he looks at Stig, he has no idea how old he is. And no. he thinks he could be anything from sort of what he thinks of as really old, like 50 or thousands or a thousand. of years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, and in, in a way it sort of doesn't matter no. because, you know, he, he's able to find something that, that what he maybe lacks in age or experience then he can make up for in language and kind of know-how and, and a slightly more modern way of life that he, you know, the things that he can teach Stig or that he can give to Stig. And I really love that when he's bringing him presents and things. And and I think also it's it's really nice that in the end, towards the end, you know, uh, it's sort of Stig that brings him and his sister Lou together. Because although you don't feel that she's ever being dismissive or anything like that, you, you do feel there's a slight separation in their lives. She's doing things with grandma yeah. or... And while Barney goes to the dump or just the fact that, you know, she's she's a bit older and, and she's a girl and suddenly they, they kind of bond over Stig. And, and actually one of my favourite moments in the book later on is, um, spoiler, <laughs> when they, they find um, a kind of community of Stigs, as it were, and they are welcomed as special guests and they have to give a speech and Barney's too nervous to do it. So he asks Lou to do it. And she gives this amazing speech, which is a kind of mashup of lots of famous speeches. It's wonderful. It's it sort of it? work, really it's a school debating society yeah. bit. And yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> things off the telly. Yeah, yeah and, and that really made me giggle. made a note of that because <laughs> I just thought that is, that's exactly what you do as a child. You feel full of the importance of it. Yeah. But you're not quite sure. Yeah. yeah. There's a bit of Christmas is coming. And yes. Yeah. And some Shakespeare. Of, I felt some Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that really made me laugh. <laughs> and he's, he's really good, isn't he, Clive King, on the sort of, detail of that particular childhood and you know when Barney's waking up in his grandmother's icy room and he can hear his nose cold and I thought yep I remember that only too well oh yeah my mum uh always used to tell me you don't know how lucky you are we used to have ice on the eider down and you know like that that was incredible and then you know it it sort of reminds me I mean it was I suppose a similar time anyway that I was watching things like the snowman and you see that same thing you know him kind of waking up and everything being really cold and having to wear socks and a hat in bed and um, yeah, it feels, I mean, in a sense, that sort of very childlike animation that is in The Snowman, also the um, illustrator, I'm probably going to say his name wrong, Edward. Arditzoni, I think. Zoni. I'm guessing he's, yes, that, that, he's yeah. That sounds, that sounds right, Edward Can't Arditzoni. Can't produce him to uh, correct us, <laughs> so that will have to stand. Sorry, Edward. <laughs> Sorry, Edward, but, um, but thank you, Edward, because um, very beautiful illustrations throughout the book, and that was exactly the edition that I remember these kind of almost like etchings, kind of pencil scratches. And they're, they're so full of life, but so simple. He gets an amazing amount of detail, doesn't he? I'm, yeah. I'm opening the book now just to sort of light on one because they have, um, 
they have enormous warmth, which sounds strange because they're just yeah. black and white. Yeah. But they have a real depth to them. I think, I, you know, I would happily have any one of these on my wall. They're, yeah. they're full of detail and, and affection and a kind of, it isn't a lost world, this. It doesn't feel no. like he's, he's drawing something which we think, well, I can't relate to at all. Yeah. And particularly, as you say, the ones at the end when they find the, the sort of Stig community. Yeah. Is, is really affectionate and very generous. And yeah, and so, so simple. I mean, some of them are yeah. very dark. The drawings. I mean, they do. It does look like they could be etchings. They're so, so recognisable instantly, too, aren't they? Yeah. Quite apart from the text, they really take you back. Yeah. It's funny reading it now, though, that I I sort of thought, and this is, this is going to sound like heresy, but it. <laughs> I almost thought he has to kind of um, shoehorn plot in, because yeah. actually there's there's not much. Yeah. And what is there comes and goes quite rapidly, you know, yes. the incident with the boys. So you in another book would take up, you know, a sort of Jaws theme, like terrible sort of threat yeah. to start <laughs> with. And then they'd appear and they'd be much worse than he thought they were. But actually it's resolved thanks to Stig quite quickly. Yeah. And, and again, the bit with, with his grandmother's burglars, you know, that, that happens really quite quickly. And yes. it's almost as though, Clive King thought, I'll put some in because there may be some kids who need a bit more to the story. Yeah. But actually, if you took both those things out, you would still have an amazing tale. You, they don't, yeah. They're not necessary. They're quite lightly done. And the boys, I mean, there's a lovely line about, you know, they're the sort of boys who always get into trouble. But then who doesn't, thinks Barney, you know, because he's not quite sure, I'm sure, what getting into trouble means yeah. at that age. You know, they're, they're both still walking around. All three of them are still walking around and nobody's actually behind bars. Yeah. <laughs> but it is so funny, isn't it? That that kind of how dramatic those those moments are, even though they are short-lived. Everything is so dramatic yeah. when you're that age and it's so, so huge. And that sort of felt very, like, oh, of course there are burglars. And then they, and then they go and they're very quickly, you know, the, the, the car is kind of rolled into the pit and then and they cover it over. And I just thought, God, that, that seems like an awful lot of cover-up and it seems very quickly resolved by the police very, and the grandma. I mean, the, the, yeah. yes. It's all... The, the plot uh, is kind of, all right, that's done. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it, it feels... Yeah, I think that all of the other things that... Uh, all those little moments where not much is happening, which I found slightly uh, more of a struggle to get through as an adult, I think are still so exciting when you're that age. And I remember when we were reading it with Mrs Nib and she would obviously be finding things for us to talk about and finding things for us to do in the classes. And one of those things was bringing in something from home that would be is rubbish and using it to make something that's useful around the house. And so we had this little project and I remember, you know, fretting about it for a week, trying to find the right thing and speaking to my parents about it. And then eventually we used an old cereal box and I don't really know why. I think it's because there was a fox in the book, but we made a hole in the side of the cereal box. I made this kind of gummy ridge. I'm not really sure out of what, like kind of cotton wool and something. I don't know what we put inside the cotton wool, but we stuck it around with sellotape around <laughs> around the um, inside and used some of the rest of the cardboard from the top of the box to make sort of soft teeth, which we put inside of the circle and I think, if I can remember rightly, the idea was that if a fox wanted to steal some of the food that was in this box, it would pop its head through the hole and then it couldn't take its head back out because the teeth would stop it from coming out, which seems actually quite cruel now looking back on it. But I don't think it was designed to kill the fox. It was just designed to sort of 
to catch it. It's a deterrent. Yeah, it's a deterrent. <laughs> um, so that was what we decided to make, which um, seems strange now, but I think we just panicked and thought, well, there's a fox in the book. Well, it, so. it, the description works perfectly yeah. well. <laughs> Actually, the, the grandmother in, in the book apparently was based on Clive King's mother, who was very practical and did save things, because after all, she oh. supplies all the jars that he makes the window from. And, yes. And it, well, there is one line about, you know, he Barney already had a tin opener in his pocket, and that's never quite explained, but it's, you know, no. in those days, it wasn't just a little gadget. It was a mighty thing I remember that yeah. you know and you had to open it up and then clamp it onto the tin yeah but he goes around doing that too of course to, to help um Stig's current problem with the water leakage yeah but all that kind of thing you know you thought yes like like your fox box yeah it just seems you know the fact that it was actually technically made of cardboard you know so the yes. fox would not have been troubled I think no he wouldn't have been it. hurt no but you know there is something about you know that that thing of organising your world and wanting yeah. things in it to work for you when you just arrive into it as a tiny helpless person with yeah. no idea of how things work or or when you'll be able to effectively, you know, get on your bigger bike, you know, cycle yeah. off and explore. Yeah. And I think that those objects, those found objects are kind of treasure at that age. And I think, you know, it's probably no coincidence I ended up choosing a cereal box because... I remember making a dog out of a cereal box, which I had on a lead, uh, you know, a cereal box turned inside out. And I didn't throw it away for years. And my mum wouldn't throw it away. It was kind of in the attic for a long time after it should have been. Because she was like, I don't want to throw the dog away. And I was like, well, eventually you're going to have to because it's just a cereal box with I some so eyes understand. painted on it. But I it's so, understand. so I loved it so much, that dog. So, yeah. Do you think, and I'm, uh, there's, a, there's only one way to ask this question, <laughs> Is Stig real? Is he an imaginary friend? Does it matter? Is he real? Mm, um, I always, when I read it as a child, I always assumed he was totally real, which I, I suppose most children do. Um, and I felt that, you know, Grandma and Lou were being silly when they didn't understand that he existed and all the things he kind of helped him with. Um and then I was sort of disappointed to read it again as an adult and think, oh, I don't know if he is. I think he might be imaginary. And I think um, it's that, that power of imagination you have at that age. You can play with anyone and they don't always have to be there or don't have to exist. And I remember having such, I mean, I think all kids do, but such a strong imagination and, and um, being able to just dream the day away. And especially towards the end where the, there is almost this kind of dream sequence with um, him and his sister Lou then you start to think, oh, perhaps, perhaps it's it wasn't so powerful, real. that, isn't it? And yeah. the fact that there's really no build-up to that. No. They just suddenly are there yeah. watching what sounds like the, almost the construction of Stonehenge. Yes, yeah. And wanting to join in a bit because they realise it will all work quicker with wheels, which haven't been invented yet. Yeah. Realising that the power of that group and the song they're all singing, which is the wordless song, which has a beat and a rhythm and a bit of a percussion, but everybody knows it. And yeah. Barney realises the power of the group. Yes, yeah. Did you have, I mean, I know I've, I've committed the, the crime of, of positing the fact that Stig did not exist, but did, did you have an imaginary friend? Hmm, I don't think I did, actually. Because I had a sister and a brother around the house all the time, then I felt like actually I sort of did the opposite and went to my room and sat by myself quite a lot because there was always quite a lot of people around. Uh, our house was, you know, always full of people and we're close with my extended family. So there was always people in and out. And because we had our sort of best friends living across the road, there was very easy access to being able to play all the time. 
And I, I was social as a child, but I really, really liked my own company. And I think that so much of that was because I was in my head quite a lot, quite sort of dreamy child. So I liked to just sit in my room and think and make up, you know, stories in my head. So I felt like I didn't really need an imaginary friend, actually. <laughs> Do you ever write those stories down now? Do you, would you write for children? Oh, God. Um, oh I would love to at some point. I, I always had a real weakness for those sort of stories that are almost like rhyming poems. I used to love those when I was younger and my dad was always writing little poems and every Easter and Christmas he would write rhyming poems. On um, Easter he would write clues in rhyming couplets to take us to the next um, Easter egg or or whatever was hidden, little chick or something. Um, so yeah, I always had kind of a weakness for those stories that were told and, and, and a slightly obsessive preoccupation with getting the exact rhythm of something. Um, I think maybe that's also because later on, when you're reading Shakespeare, you know, as an actor, you feel so precise about that, about, you know, each syllable counts. So, yeah, I, I, I think that maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> do, you, do you crave solitude now? Yeah, all the time. I mean, I, I, luckily I have quite a lot of it. I sort of live with my cat and on and off, you know, when I'm not working. And I've, I've like, as soon as I, I could possibly afford to when I left drama school, I lived by myself just because I, I've always really liked it, um, even though I love to be around people and I love to talk and I don't, you know, I don't feel like it's that I need to be on my own. It's just like that's, that's where I recharge. Also a, a film set, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Yes. First of all, you're with a bunch of really happy people because everyone's employed. Yes. <laughs> and also they're all engaged on the project. Yes. But your relationships go through an arc in three or four weeks that take most people, I think, three or four years to yes. achieve. Absolutely. And and also that there's that sort of feeling, uh, which is good and bad in parts. I think that every job you do is, is almost like first day at school. So you think, oh God, where do I sit at lunch? Who do I talk to? Who's going to be my friend? But then at the same time, then you make these friends, which, you know, off, more often than not, there'll be, there might be one or two people on, on every job that you take with you throughout life. And maybe you see more of each other at one year and less of each other the next year. But you do make these kind of lasting friendships, which are, are very intimate. And so so I think you don't have the same worry about, okay, so... I'm moving through my life and every decade things change and I change as a person and and will these people still be, you know, in my life and will they still live near me? Will they still be my close friends? And I think that you you don't have that fear as an actor because you you're constantly surrounded by people of all generations and you yeah. can relate to them and so your world is um a very, very broad in, in a way that um I feel very lucky to Such experience. It's a privilege, isn't it? Yeah. Put it like that. It just sounds Heaven. Yeah, and yeah. You can so, get about the bits when you're not working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then that means, yeah, then you can have that time and, you know, do all the things that you plan to do when you're working and you're busy and then um, never actually quite achieve when you're by yourself, but that you have the best laid plans to do. <laughs> actually, the dump's filling up fast now and Stig may be on the move. One report was that he'd been seen working in a garage by the main road where they collect old wrecked cars and put the pieces in rusty piles. And somebody else said they saw him in a back lane of the woody country at the top of the downs, mending a chicken run with an old wire mattress. It certainly sounded like Barney's friend Stig, but perhaps it was only a relative of his. Just to return to, to the end of the book, which, which I actually, I'd forgotten how moving it was. I don't think I got it as a child. No, he's talking about... The fact that he thinks he maybe 
sees Stig sometimes um, as yes. he's getting older or he sees someone who could be a relative of Stig's. And that's kind of a lovely idea in terms of humanity in general and, and you know, how we're all connected. But also that feeling of th- those memories you have as a child are unlike any other memories and they really last and they're so strong and how you can sometimes see something or someone and it just takes you right back. And again, that's a feeling that you just don't appreciate so much reading it when you're small. No, it's so, so true. So true. That feeling of, you know what it is you've lost. Mm -hmm. You cannot possibly get back to it really because it was of its time, Mm. but it's in you. It's right inside you. Yeah. And I think it's that, that thing that I certainly have had. And I think that, uh, I think lots of children go through that. It's the first time you move from the childhood house that you really remember awful it's so traumatic you leave behind all of these memories of the places that you played at the garden that you were used to kick footballs into the neighbors even you know that all of these things I I remember so vividly all of our childhood neighbors and and all of the houses and the parks and and you have to it's it's your first sort of acceptance of loss in a way you have to except that um, you can no longer have these things, that life moves on, that there are greater things around the corner, but also that you have to say goodbye to those friends and to that particular way of life. And that's really hard. And I think that the, the book does that really beautifully. Um, it, it kind of describes that that callback, the, those memories that resurface every now and then when you think about something or someone or um, an event in your life and that that sort of final line um, where he um, talks about thinking that he sometimes sees Stig, that, I found it really moving. That is a perfect place to leave it. It's almost a, that image hovers just slightly somewhere in an almost reachable way. Mm. Thank you so much for bringing the book back to us. Oh, thank you Gorgeous. so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. This has been Twice Upon a Time with me, Janet Ellis. My guest was Tuppence Middleton. The producer is Caroline Raphael. Recording and post-production by John Wakefield and Diggory Waite. All the titles mentioned are on the podcast show page. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Twice Upon a Pod for pictures of our guests and their brilliant books. And if you like the show, do recommend to a friend or leave us a review. The executive producer is Claire Broughton and Twice Upon a Time is a hat-trick podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.